Hi everyone and welcome to episode four of the We Study Bitcoin podcast. Uh, on this episode, myself and Steve are going to talk about what happens when the block subsidy runs out with the migration to sole transaction fees. We talk a bit about when we think this might happen and the effects this will have on the Bitcoin network. Uh, thanks for listening. Give us a follow on Twitter and drop us any comments. Good evening, Steve. How's it going? Uh, very good. Mike and yourself? Yeah, not too bad now. Um, just a quick uh, update on how many sats we can get for a euro. We're just under uh, 5,000 this evening. So the price is just, just below 20,000 euro, just below it. So a um, bit of a recovery after the weekend there. Uh, sure, we'll see. Probably probably get 10,000 the next week. So, Fingers crossed. Um, so we said on this episode we'd have a look at the migration from the block fee uh, subsidy to a pure transaction-based. Mm-hmm. Uh, you linked a couple of articles um, that I'll link later down, but we'll just talk sure. about it in, in general, really. Um, so you'd actually brought this up. I think it was just after our yes. fir- first episode. Um, this was something you were you wanted to talk about, and I agree that it's uh, vitally important. Something that hasn't yeah. um, you don't really hear it uh, spoken about a lot on podcasts. I guess a lot of it is just so theoretical because uh, yes. we are talking about twenty one forty when the last uh, Bitcoin is mined. And um, at that stage, then the reward for mining Bitcoin from the block subsidy will be zero and um, the miners revenue will be made up uh, basically from transaction fees. Yes. So we would so, hope that uh, long, 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 long before that transaction fees would have taken over as the main source of revenue. But yeah, that's that's uh, that's when the last Bitcoin is mined. Yeah, definitely. Or at least it have... Um, a fairly good uh, solution in place uh, well mm-hmm. before um, whether it doesn't it's, transfer uh, until that day. Sketchy territory uh, there now, Mike. Sketchy territory. You talk about uh, altering uh, altering Bitcoin, are you? No, 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 no. I, I wouldn't agree with that at all. <laughs> Although what a nice segue to the articles is because um, that seems to be um, one of the common denominators between the three or four articles we read, whether they were uh, critical about the transaction fee, um, whether they thought a lot of them thought it wasn't a sustainable model uh, for Bitcoin mm-hmm. to operate transaction fee um primarily uh some of them due to security uh some down to um miners uh, tax miners could have um, selfish miners and nefarious acts against mining pools and such um but there was one article that um thought uh, it was dan hell's article actually um he was fairly <laughs> consistent so, so Dan Hill's article, I, I think, is a, it's a good um, discussion of the area, um, and uh, okay, it's it's less um, academic, and um, he he doesn't go to the he, he doesn't maybe create the same model. Uh, he does he does look at some models, but uh, but it's a good discussion. And um, uh, when you put that up, uh, I wasn't sure what to think because I hadn't read his article before, and uh, Dan Hill is not someone that I would follow on Twitter, uh, given that his comments, well, this is just my 
my own opinion on it, but he seems very up only and uh, low on uh, low on substance. High on f- low on substance, high on fluff. But that's 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 just that's just my impression, and and actually it's probably quite unfair because it's a really good article. The twenty nineteen article is, is excellent, so um, it we is. should definitely talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, I guess um, we'll start there. And I think it was in response to the article you initially shared, which was by a bunch of Princeton guys. Um, Mm -hmm. The article was just called On the Instability of Bitcoin Without a Block Reward. And their theory was uh, Bitcoin is not a viable um, monetary network uh, without the the block reward. um, Because basically, to sum it up, was what will happen is you'll get multiple forks and because miners are trying to gather the transaction fees for themselves and it can be more profitable to mine the fork than it is to mine the longest chain. Yeah. And at that point, once you have multiple forks like that, it's much easier to perform a 51% attack. So I, I do think that was the article that spurred them into this because um, I, I was reading, uh, just checking on Twitter, like was there any responses to this article? And mm-hmm. um, that's where I came across uh, his one. Yeah. 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 Uh, so what did you think of it overall, Steve? Did you did you get any takeaway points there that you thought were interesting? From the Princeton article? Yeah. Or, or the, yeah, let's start with the Princeton article. Uh, yeah. I mean, I suppose the, the, the most interesting thing there for me was um, the fact that you could have miners be incentivized to deliberately fork the chain or, or where they could um, um, successfully mine a transaction um, and hide the fact that they had successfully mined it, basically not broad, broadcast that fact uh, to the world um, and wait for another um, block to come out, uh, which would be have higher transaction fees and basically higher reward and, and, and mine that instead or or, or or sorry they continue mining basically and then tell it, when everyone has kind of started on the chain which is now the incorrect chain then all of a sudden go oh actually no we mined that block first and this is actually the true one oh and by the way we mined these three extra blocks too so we get all those transaction fees etc you know so um so so then uh, practically it's like um it's an attack on other miners. It's, it's trying to get them to use like waste or hash power, essentially, that it becomes mm-hmm. more costly for them to stay, um, say, as good actors. Um, the, what, what I had an issue with here, though, is, and I, I didn't see it mentioned, is the capital expenditure that a miner has to put in, um, even currently, you know, yeah. to make it viable uh, to, to actually be to be a miner yeah like overall and and this was uh, kind of we discussed this in our minor centralization um yeah. episode like is it within their best interest long term to do that like uh, like how long can this carry on for because if other miners are doing the same thing yeah um essentially what's happening is they're making the bitcoin uh, network less secure yeah, and is that right. in their best interest long term? And that's that's the main thing I took away from that. I thought it was a big miss. And um, I, I think you're 100 percent right, because, I mean, at the end of the day, the only reason the Bitcoin network has value is because there's trust and, and that you know what's going to happen. And if the trust breaks down in that, um, well, you know, you're not going to get that. And Bitcoin falls in value. I mean, your attack, you're, you're shooting yourself in the foot, you know. Yeah, I, I just couldn't I couldn't figure out like how long this um, 
attack was viable for you know mm-hmm. like it was it as they mentioned just a small miner doing it mm-hmm. taking the, their transaction fees and uh running like but you still need that massive capex input i mean or does it get to a stage where at that point mining has become so um i suppose uh developed that it's all just one big mining pool it's all just a big pool and everyone is sharing anyway you know and maybe this is all irrelevant you know um so yeah because the other thing they mentioned was pool hopping um you know so if a miner they would change pool to maximize their chances of getting uh finding a block mm-hmm. uh, but again um i listened i heard somewhere there there was a discussion on this that it's it's even currently it's not a simple matter just to change pool like that there's quite a bit to it you know that yeah. and to be able to do it um at the drop of a hat like yes. was mentioned in the article i don't mm-hmm. know how feasible that is yeah but to go back to your point i think like your, your point is that look the capital expenditure you need to put in in order to be able to pull that off i suppose you could get fluky and, and find a, a, a block but at this stage even even so you will have had to put in a fair amount of money to do that you'll only be able to do it once probably you know um so does it really make sense to do it at a risk of you know ruining trust in the system and maybe damaging uh, the value of what you get so yeah. well you certainly wouldn't be doing it now for the transaction fees anyway oh exactly it was yeah that's it and and, uh, maybe we should just mention that because it was a point you made on a previous episode as well about the ratio between uh the block subsidy and the transaction fee currently yeah yeah so that's um yeah i I think it's really interesting because look at the end of the day in in order for this to work we have to see over time a progression where gradually excuse me, transaction fees are becoming a greater proportion of the reward which miners get for finding a block, okay? And uh, there is a chart on that. Uh, it's uh, stats.bybitcoinworldwide.com. Um, uh, uh, plan B is quoted on it, so take take from that what you will. But um, uh, basically, uh, since, since this has been tracked, um, I mean, the fees the base transaction fee level certainly has come up from 2015 levels. Um, but I mean, at the moment, it's 1%, 2%, uh, maybe 3% at the moment. But it, it's, it's it's floating around those levels. And there have been some peaks uh, at the um, the peak of 2018 euphoria. 78% of the reward was actually from transaction fees. Since then, hasn't gone higher than 40%. But looking at this chart, what strikes me about it is it really brings home how important uh, your mempool space is to driving transaction fees because you, at the moment there's no there's literally no um, congestion on the mempool so there's no competition to have your um, transaction confirmed people are paying the cheapest fees because they'll get it confirmed in the next next block or maybe two blocks away so there's there's you know there's no pressure on them to to pay a high fee for the transactions so we will eventually need to have a lot more activity on the Bitcoin blockchain than there is currently in order to sustain it. Now, uh, I suppose, the, and and the other point is that looking at this chart, there's not really, you'd like to see a consistent, sustained baseline trend in an upward direction in terms of transaction fees. And there's, there's really, I, I can't say that you can see that yet, you know. It, when I looked at it earlier, it's just a couple of massive spikes, really. 
um, yes. over those two or three periods and everything else barely registers on the, the chart uh, in comparison. Yeah, and the, the counter argument to that would be, well, look, you can see from this when Bitcoin is being used and, and you know, even during those crazes, you're talking about a tiny percentage of the world population actually using it, uh, even at those times when, when mania was, was pretty high. Um, well, okay, yeah, you can see the fees are do start to come up. And, and if Bitcoin gets to where it needs to get to in order, I suppose, for it to survive long-term security-wise, well, it's very likely that there will be enough transactions going on there to, to, um, to drive the um, percentage up. You know, but but it's only ten years. You know, I mean, there's only ten, twelve years data here, so, um, so it's not um, it's it's hard to draw many conclusions on yet. It's it's still Bitcoin, still very much in neophyte. You know. Yeah, exactly, and I guess um, I don't know if there's any way of checking. You know, um, how Lightning is affecting the mempool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's something. Really to- well, 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 that's that's something I thought of because you know you can see while this time around um, 2020 2021 there definitely was an increase in transaction fees, but it wasn't anywhere to the well. Okay, it it, it was lower than it was the previous bull run after the last halving, um, and maybe that's because of Segwit, which you know has has re- has allowed a bit more space uh, yep. per block, and 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 then and then obviously Lightning um, has 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 helped a lot, but um. And maybe this is good, you know, because if Bitcoin's actually going to work, it, it it has to happen really slowly and sneakily and unobviously, you know. So so it, it's it's not necessarily the worst thing to go. You're looking at this chart and you go, now, nah, well, look, it's not, it's not, it's not happening yet, is it? You know. No, because we are talking another 118 years, really, uh, before it meets this um, critical point. Um, I think I think yeah, you're right, but I think Dan Held's article did say that in according to his um, uh, extrapolation, and I don't know where he got his data from, where it came from. So you know, pinch of salt. But uh, around 2030 is when we should see the fees, the um, uh, transaction fees, overtake the block reward as your main reward. So yeah, that's not that far away. That's definitely not that far away, and um, I have a feeling that may not be proven true. Uh, in such yeah. a short period of time, uh, it really yeah, we'll isn't, isn't that long. Um, yeah, sure. Um, I think um, they were the main takeaways I had from that uh, article. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely, they were the most um, vocal about it, and I had that's the article that seemed to be shared around uh, quite a bit. And I guess we should mention this article was written in 2016. So there was no mention of um, lightning. Um, it was the Princeton article. The Princeton article, yeah. There was there was no mention of the lightning network in there for uh, for any sort of scaling. Yeah, yeah, wouldn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just on uh, Dan Hull's article, I did think it, it was good. Um, one of the conclusions he made, or more, more of an assumption, was that there would be hyper... Bitcoinization. Um, he took that as ten to a hundred trillion dollar asset. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's like seven, six or seven hundred billion dollars at the moment, and it did peak at a, a trillion at the all time mm-hmm. high. Uh, but the other one, he uh, assumption he made, which was a lot uh, more contentious, is an increase of the block size. Okay. 
Um, so he, I think he picked up a sweet spot of eight megabits okay. or eight megabytes. Um, but obviously that doesn't happen without, um, a hard fork. Um, yeah. Like, because I think even with SegWit, like it, it doesn't actually increase the, the block size as such. I think there's a mechanism to compress the actual data there. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, there's block size stays the same exactly. Yeah. So the block size would require a hard fork. And uh, for anyone that's not aware, uh, this discussion has been had a couple of years ago already. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, a hard fork, um, I, I don't think probably is necessary given that, you know, lightning looks like it's starting to take off. You, you see, you know, you see what's happening with uh, Fountain, the podcast now and micropayments. And that's that's just really cool. You know, um, so so lightning is uh, the, the Fountain podcast app. Um, so light, light, lightning is is um, uh, lightning kind of takes care of that problem to, to my mind. Um, I, I suppose you, 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 you do you mean more from a point of view of trying to fill up the um, mempool or or um, kind of keep things on layer one as opposed to layer two or? Yeah, um, I'm not sure what he meant by that because obviously he had mentioned lightning in the article. So um, mm -hmm. um, I, I guess you, you're probably right on the on the size, in the mempool, mm -hmm. um, that it would fill up um, quicker. But again, like you have to think about, about it. If Lightning does continue in the way it's growing, there will be less and less transactions on the base layer. Now, one of the points sure. he made was there'd be a different pricing model between on-chain and off-chain. So on-chain would be priced uh, at a percentage of the transaction volume. And um, layer two, um, there would be a crossing over point where um, paying on Lightning will be more expensive than actually doing a base layer um, transaction. Uh, I suppose that would probably depend on the size of the transaction. Um, yeah. Yes, no? So, yeah, you're correct, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's, that's probably true. I mean, at the end of the day, you look, if you, you're... Um, your uh, lightning does require transactions on the base level for it to function, you know. Um, so you're going to have to balance channels. You're going to have to open and close channels. So um, there, there will be they, they will they will necessitate uh, a base layer transaction eventually, you know. Yeah, um, I, I guess then there was another. I think it was Adam Back's suggestion of um, an aggregate uh, transaction pool. Mm -hmm. um, that miners would get transaction fees divided up from. Um, yeah. But the questions about that were like, you know, uh, who manages the pool? Uh, yeah. Who tops up the pool? You know, what are they? Are they static rewards? You know, are static transaction fees then? Um, yeah. See, the, the idea is that uh, all Bitcoin owners would essentially pay a, a tax for security type thing. Anyone who has Bitcoin, you you pay security tax. I mean, you, not not enforceable, but it would have to be an optional thing, I suppose. And if you have enough wealth, you're probably very willing and happy to pay a small tax to keep it. Well, like the way I look at it is in terms of transaction fees, the market is going to decide what's um, acceptable. Do you know mm -hmm. to a from a user point of view anyway? Yeah. And you can you can imagine like you know if you're making large transactions like if you're talking about 
and if this thing is going the way um, we think it might be going, if you have banks transacting between each other, like clearly they don't settle instantly now. Uh, no, they don't. Do you know? Exactly. And, yeah, exactly. And the, the fees paid are huge. Do you know yeah. if you're making international transfers of... Yes. Um, well, you know, anyway. let's say you want to transfer 300 million in gold. How long is that going to take to settle? Yeah, it's not even just the transportation fees. It's everything around it, you know, and even yeah. to ver- verify that, like it's not yeah. your average Joe uh, that's no. going to be able to verify it. So do you think they would mind waiting, you know, three or four days in a congested mempool to get a big transaction confirmed? I don't think they'd have any problem. And I think they'd pay high fees to get it up there. Um, yeah quicker if if needed and um the other thing you've got the added security then you could say how many confirmations you want you know um mm-hmm. you could ask for six or seven confirmations mm-hmm. uh, yeah just from absolutely. the security side of it yeah i think um, you're right there, you know is there anything else in his article um yeah. it was it was quite a good rebuttal though was... Yeah, I think it's a, it's a good overall kind of summary. He does cover um, most of the, the points and most, I mean, look, he, he does assume hyper-Bitcoinization, but I think if... Um, I think we have ever to, to assume that. <laughs> yeah, if it's, it's ever going to be a it, problem, you have to, yeah. It's it's just like where you um, put those markers, like is it 10 to 100 trillion? Like that's a wide range, but... Yeah, well, like it's either Bitcoin goes to zero or this, and there's no point in us talking about this, or that's what happens and that's when it becomes an issue, you know, um, or maybe not zero, but close to it. Yeah, and it's like um, aside from price, like if, if you keep an eye on Twitter, just the amount of announcements, um, the services that are being offered, like mm-hmm. most weeks now, there's, there's always something that's like, whereas two years ago, these would have been huge announcements. Yes, like there was one and where people don't notice it now. Deloitte and Nidig um, mm. are offering Bitcoin to everybody. So it's not even just in- institutional um, investors. It seems to be um, just aimed at everybody. Uh, but yeah. a couple of years ago, that would have been massive news. You know, that Absolutely, uh, yeah. any um, institution were getting involved in Bitcoin. Mm. Um, I saw Visa have a Bitcoin card coming out now in the States. Visa themselves, as opposed to just yeah. supporting some other Bitcoin card. Yeah, Visa. Yeah. Okay. So. It's it. It just feels like in Europe we're like a million years behind everything, uh, and we just can't get anything out here. We're still waiting on our full cards. Like never going to happen. Uh, our strike cards. I I, th- I I did think the strike card was going to happen, but I think that's that's a year behind now. I don't know if we'd ever see it. So. Yeah, it's just uh, it seems to be regulation over here. That everything mm-hmm. is stamped out first before it even um, try it. Yeah. Um, one of the other, uh, it was a video by a, go- a guy called Hazu. Um, just came with a yeah. set of slides. Um, he was, you know, looking at it from the security uh, yes. point of things in terms mm-hmm. of after the block subsidy. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way he he looks at it is. Do you know there will be a hit to one of the core tenants of Bitcoin, whether it's going to be uh, liquidity, uh, scarcity, or mm-hmm. decentralization. So, just a couple of things like if you do increase the block size, you're going to lose decentralization because it's not as easy for everyone uh, to run a node. Then, uh, sure, it's 
we're at what just about 600 gigs or or maybe 400 if you're not running umbrella and it's just um bitcoin core uh mm-hmm. you're at 400 gigs now but you add on 100 years of transactions i know data uh, storage will become cheaper and all and there's still going to be infrastructure challenges to get that much data um mm-hmm. the other one is liquidity then um do you know if the transactions drop because the network is less secure yeah um it's just it's it's like a spiral at, at that stage where the network is less secure there's less transactions and it just continues on and really at that stage you'd be uh wondering about the the viability of it yeah um, yeah absolutely so like there was um another thing to think about is you know the more people that uh actually transact in bitcoin like it, it gives uh, more incentive to attack the the network so for that reason like there's a fine balance and um, i don't think anybody has an answer to this yet but what should be spent on the um, security budget mm-hmm. um, of bitcoin because uh, if it's too high fees will be too high and then mm-hmm. if it's um too lows uh too low it'll, it'll just be profitable to uh to attack yeah 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 good points uh, it always bothers me a little bit. Um, it's probably a totally stupid question, Mike. Uh, but, you know, we talk about decentralization with Bitcoin. And, like, obviously you can run a node, and, and we both run a node, and we have a decentralized copy of the ledger. And we can run the node because it's a low block size. Great, you know. Um, but in terms of security, really decentralization is... Um, it's all about the miners, you know. And we already talked about that, you know, when the concerns about the miners becoming centralized and, and so on, you know. Um, and I wonder, you know, how much more security does having, a, you know, thousands of decentralized nodes add? I mean, you know, security really comes from the miners. Um, it does to a certain extent. So when everybody has a copy of the ledger, though, and those mm-hmm. miners publish... The blocks if you have less nodes to actually verify that it is being added to the longest chain yeah um do you know the less decentralized nodes the easier it is to to spoof that do you know that you could yeah. put out a chain there that's not um yeah but i mean no yeah you're right i mean the, the counter to that is nodes are cheap you know someone wants to go out and you know like roll up a couple of i mean there's not that many nodes around the world you know is i think it's less than a hundred thousand i don't i don't actually know the number but you know yeah i don't think anybody knows uh knows exactly um how many nodes there are i was checking earlier and now there is there's eighteen thousand um lightning nodes all right okay Uh, maybe it's more than i thought either way it's just an earwig eating in my head but um maybe i just need to uh, look at that yeah, no, it definitely, it definitely, the more nodes, the better, the more secure the network is. Um, uh, but I was reading a couple of interesting things about attacks on nodes, um, mm. like Eclipse attacks, which will actually okay. block the incoming and outgoing ports on um, on your node. So basically, I think you can have 10, um, 10 incoming channels and two outgoing but basically the attacker will block that. So you only see him and they'll spoof a bunch of IP addresses and he will, you know, he'll distribute his version of the, the chain then. 
and obviously his goal okay. is to to take out as many nodes as possible um mm. that was quite yeah so i suppose the, yeah that would be very difficult to do on bitcoin but probably take down bsv easy enough <laughs> i think you take that down from your single node yeah yeah um, very good. Is there anything else, Steve? No, no. I thought that that's a, it's a good summary of that article, or that that does that that uh, YouTube video. No, I mean like uh, it, this 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 whole um, uh, transaction fee uh, overtaking uh, rewards. I mean it it boils down to we don't really know, um, and the market's probably going to take care of it, you know, and. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like it's like I said to you before, e- either um, um, this Bitcoin isn't successful and this is not a problem, or Bitcoin is successful and because it's successful, we'll have to find a bloody way for it to work, you know, um, because people have too much to lose for it for it not to work. So, um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, the, I guess the main takeaway is, is it all comes down to the transaction volume, really. Um, mm-hmm. that's that's what's going to drive it and at least at that stage then if you have the volume you can have somewhat elastic fees yeah. whereas if, if you don't have that transaction volume uh, fees mm-hmm. need to be extremely high yeah and it's interesting we would both come to kind of that conclusion when most of the articles we read uh, came to the conclusion that Bitcoin needed to change you know it needs it needs to change or it needs a fork or, or whatever else and I think that's that's partly because most of those articles are based on very strict assumptions, you know? Um, uh, yeah, it was like, like there was things like just taking out the human factor of it, how a human decides to do something where these mm-hmm. were very much simulations of like AI um, mm-hmm. and what AI would do in these, um, with these uh, scenarios. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know, there was a lot of constraints put on, on the, um, um on the experiments, uh, yes. on, their, on, on their theories, um, which I, I can see why uh, they did it. Like it's very complex to actually uh, map that out. Uh, but at the same time, it makes it far less realistic than uh, a real world scenario. Yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Well, look, you have to start somewhere. So exactly. Uh, very good, Steve. Uh, I think that probably covers everything uh, we have anyway to add to yeah. that. I'm sure um, there's some other great stuff out there that we, we didn't uh, come well, across. I'd love, love to hear about it if there is. Uh, definitely. And I'll ask you, um, is there anything interesting you read this week? Yeah, uh, there is, Mike. Prepared for you today. Um, it's actually, uh, I, I think I spoke to you briefly before we started um uh, it is these slides um like my man crush as you know is preston fish i mention him on every uh, every episode um but uh he, these slides that uh he he he's he just uh, slides for a for a presentation he was he was doing to um a bunch of people and uh, he had an interview with peter mccormick uh, a couple of days ago uh, where he discussed the slides the slides themselves are are, are very good and, and they're kind of looking at um, stocks and stocks adjusted um based on m2 over the last couple of years and um looking at bitcoin and and, and comparisons i suppose of, of of stock markets around the world and these the slides themselves are interesting but i would encourage you to 
go watch him on on youtube talking to peter mccormick and explaining his slides um it's just it's just good viewing you know uh, obviously it's um it's it's scary if uh if what he's talking about comes to pass you know but uh, i mean if it does um well we heard about bitcoin early and um hopefully that will um that'll steady the ship a little bit if if it does you know yeah i, I did see some of it uh and it certainly is um really like um actually what i read this week was uh lynn alden's uh june uh newsletter uh, what's it yeah. called um demand destruction public so newsletter it is the public newsletter yeah um so basically went into details on the japan japan the fed and the ecb Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, her takeaway basically is the ECB and uh, Japanese Central Bank are in checkmate and that there's nothing that's going to do. So I, I have spent a good bit of time the last week watching the Japanese 10-year uh, bond yeah. yields. So and three or four times when I've looked, they've been back above um, uh, the, what is it, zero point two five that they have it pegged to it's been mm-hmm. i think it was today it was up at 0.43 yeah. and obviously they're just um just they're still um controlling it as much as they can but i think this is the domino once that goes and they can't bring that bond yield down that europe is probably next um yeah, we're Next in, in line. a precarious situation. And and seeing what happened to the yen, it does not make me very comfortable about holding euros. Um, but, I mean, what choice? It's 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 not easy to hold dollars, you know? I mean, I suppose you could hold dollar stable coins. I don't really like to do that, so. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I just highly recommend I, I go finish that uh, Preston Pish video and uh, definitely worth a read of mm-hmm. uh, Lynn Alden's uh, newsletter. Mm-hmm. Stuff, Steve. Thanks for your time. Enjoy the rest of your week and uh, talk to you next week. Certainly will. Look forward to it. Thanks, Mike. Cheers.